and opinions expressed on the Hard Time Podcast are of the hosts and guests individually. The Hard Time Podcast is for entertainment purposes only and is not affiliated with any entity, agency, or department. Human beings have thoughts and feelings that do not necessarily affect the professional performance of their duties. Ladies and gentlemen, the story you are about to hear is true. The names have been changed to protect the innocent. An inmate attacked a correctional officer in St. Louis County this week after he refused to go back to his cell. This is what we have to deal with, inmates like that. Everybody has an opinion to know about what goes on and stuff in here, but not times out of ten, if anybody that has anything negative to say about a correctional officer, he never even been in the facility, never been inside of the jail. They have 24-7 to sit there and come up ways to outsmart so they always want to try, but we've got to be proactive. Got to still remain professional and, and do a job. Officers being praised for their quick actions. Lake County Sheriff uh, says, quote, they are heroes in my books. Regular day at the office. Assuming, of course, that you are with your family and your family doesn't love you or you're having to work or something and you otherwise just can't have a normal Thanksgiving where you wake up and go to church hopefully and then uh you know go to see your family and uh eat too much and then uh get annoyed by them and pass out you know after the cowboys beat the redskins uh you can spend it with us uh my co-host is here jake motherfucker welder the third esquire he's a lawyer also a sergeant at at a county jail so he walks in both worlds somewhere on the united states uh the american southwest uh jake how well are you doing today I actually am doing pretty well. I was dragging ass this morning. I'm drinking a non-alcoholic uh, root beer, which is unfortunate, but uh, had a very, very good uh, week this week. Uh, worked an extra 12-hour shift, and very little has gone wrong this week, and tonight's my short night, so this is where it all goes to hell. This is where it takes a hard left turn. Uh, as soon as I get to work, I expect there will be probably fire alarms and fights and uh, yeah, a lot of drama because it's that's how it always works on Fridays. It always goes to shit, and it's been unusually quiet this week. So I said the Q word, so now I'm fucked. It does <laughs> say a lot about your life, though, that you qualify a root beer as non-alcoholic. I think I think that's usually a warning sign. Uh, <laughs> uh, no, uh, you're you're right. You know when th- when you when you especially when you want to have an easy night, like you said, it's your short night, and you're going into the holiday or whatever, um, or you're uh, on a holiday. You want to just get through it. <clears throat> I have to work on Thanksgiving morning at nine one, and uh, whenever the phone rings, I'm just like, really, like where are you at that you just you can't be without the sheriff's office today. And I say that because I take a lot of phone calls that aren't 911 calls. I take just regular on phone calls if someone needs to talk to the sheriff's office or if they have a question about an owl in the neighborhood that literally happened on Thanksgiving. Um, I have to handle that stuff. And it's just like, I want to say, like, get a life. I wish I had a life. I wish I could be with my family because you can bet your ass I would not be calling the sheriff's office for anything. Uh, but people will still call because they have questions about tickets. They'll call about when their court day is. They have questions about fines. And I'm like, the only people in the building right now are 911 dispatchers. No one can help you with that. You need to call back on Monday morning when the courthouse opens again. I don't know why you think that you, this is, we're the government. We're worse than the banks. I don't know why you think that we're going to be here. The mere fact that someone answered your, the phone at all and validated you uh, in your attempt to reach us makes me angry. I'm mad at my own self. 
Um, well, do you do you have like a good recipe for boiled owl or something? Is that what they were calling about? Or you and your callbacks, you remember every single word <laughs> I've ever said, which is dangerous because like. <laughs> Anytime I'm going to be in legal trouble, like some some smart lawyer is going to know you and just be like, "Well, what did John say on this occasion?" And you'll be like sworn in as an expert, you know, uh, which will be really damning for me. Well, um, like last night talking to uh, talking to administration, I invoked my Fifth Amendment right not to self-incriminate. So, it's like uh, um, all of John's crimes, well, most of them are also my crimes, so I cannot self-incriminate. Yeah. Co-conspirators, uh, co-accessories. Um, I'm not sure what they would call it. The the angrier than a boiled owl thing is actually just an old saying, though. It's just fallen out of use. I like old sayings like that. There's there's quite a few of them. I don't. I can't think of any off the top of my head. But anytime I can employ an ancient aphorism, um, I'm going to do it uh, because I'm strange and esoteric like that, and because it makes me feel smarter than other people, which is really what I'm try to do all the time is make myself feel better uh, by 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 flaunting something that must mean that I'm smarter just by knowing that stupid thing. Never mind that like I'm a pathetic failure by every, you know, uh, measurable sense of 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 a man. So it's not, you know, if I'm so smart, why aren't I why aren't I rich? Well, there you go. So that's why I do these things. It's all just pathetic overcompensation. Are you uh you got big Thanksgiving plans? Are you going to do fun things or uh, we're gonna be uh, Madge is cooking here. We don't have a, a lot of family, so it'll be the kids and uh, Grandma and Madge with myself. The only turkey will be um, in a bottle, distilled, 101 wow. proof this year. Canadian, very, yes. very nice, very nice vintage. Um, so yeah, ham and just stay home and then uh, watch football. And uh, I'm gonna start. I used to have a tradition when I first moved in the Southwest, I would drink like half the bottle by the time food was being prepared, and then I would finish the bottle. Um, and I haven't done that in several years now, so maybe maybe this year I will get back to that. We'll see. Confirming my suspicion that I asserted earlier about you saying <laughs> had to, having to describe a root beer is not an alcoholic. You're like, oh, it's a root beer, which means it doesn't have alcohol in it at all <laughs> you know, it's like just to clarify this is this is a soda i'm drinking right uh, i haven't had a drink in like three weeks so i was gonna say i was gonna light a little candle for your liver but i guess you're actually healing so <laughs> yep my my liver was healing but that all ends possibly starting tonight we'll see how see how the shift goes i myself have just quit alcohol because i'm trying to lose weight so it does things to your metabolism. Um, it's just generally bad for you. And, uh, I'm not I'm not in the shape that I was in even earlier this year or last year. And I think some of that's some of that's just due to my complete change in life. I moved to a town that doesn't have a gym in it, so it's like there are those struggles. Uh, but yeah, just your lifestyle changes when you move, and I think it's a, a less metabolically efficient one. So I'm trying to trying to switch things up, change things up. Marty down uh, close to ten pounds uh, since the start of the month, which I know sounds uh, bad, but I guess I was just—I don't know—retaining water or anything. Any, no one cares about this. Uh, if you want to know more about my like my, my current level of water retention or like you know my triglycerides, <laughs> please reach out to me in my DMs. There's no reason why 
There's no reason why all 118 of you have to be subjected to that. Uh, by the way, thank you to our Patreon subscribers. If you're listening to this, this is Patreon only. We appreciate you. Uh, this month is Men's Mental Health Awareness Month. There is no more uh, angry or enraged or anxious or depressed people on earth than correctional officers, I think. I was actually way more stressful there when I was a correctional officer than I am as an I-1 dispatcher. Still the hardest job I've ever had. I had my own mental health crisis. In fact, when I worked at the Department of Corrections, maybe it wasn't a crisis. I don't know. I mean, everyone draws their own line of what that is. But Jake, you know, I'll just kind of give you the mic. Like talk about like how you went. Uh, just you know, give me your whole history from a mental health standpoint. You know, you quit construction. You moved from the Empire State down to the American Southwest because you saw the job posted on Indeed. And, and what happened to you over your many years? <laughs> Well, I moved first and then was just looking for any old job. Uh, wasn't really looking for a career at the time, but, um, but yeah, I moved and um, never had any mental health issues, never really had any, um, I mean, a seasonal depression, you know, that kind of thing back in, in New York. It's like where I'm from in New York, it's kind of like fucking Siberia, you know, it's like 100 degrees in the summertime for like a month. And it's like negative 20 for a good part of the certain part of the winter and three, 400 inches of snow a year. It's just like, it's it's just fucking abjectly terrible. And I, I worked out in the elements. So, um, and then we get laid off in the winter time. So it was like, you have a job, you have a career and then, oh, we don't need you anymore. So we're going to lay you off. And then you just sit at home. <laughs> where it's when it's dark watching netflix and back then netflix came and dvds in the mail so um <laughs> i didn't really start looking into uh my mental health or really think about it or anything until um after having um pneumonia i was that's the first time i was like waking up it was kind of like uh, sleep apnea uh difficult to breathe waking up feeling that anxiety um, that was kind of what kicked it off. And um, the organization I work for, they have a certain amount of, um, they say they take mental health seriously, which um, has been an uh, issue um, for some of our law enforcement officers that wasn't really addressed very properly. But um after a serious incident, they made arrangements so that you could go and have some free sessions. And uh, I tried to give that place a call and get in there. And every time I called, they would ask for my personal information and say, we'll get back to you. And then I call a week or two later after not hearing anything and they asked for my information again. So I tried that for almost a year. Um, and then finally went to my organization and said, hey, I... I don't know if anyone else is having this problem, but uh, it's been like 11 plus months and I can't get in there and we're told we have these resources, but this resource doesn't exist. Um, I know this is a organization that like they have weekly meetings and stuff with inmates and with people that are on probation and parole and things like that. But uh, as a corrections officer, I can't get a fucking call back. And... <laughs> 
I know they had staff turnover. It felt like I was talking to somebody different every time, but I'm like, I don't really feel comfortable giving my social security number to somebody and then, and talk about deeply personal things. And then when I call back, there's no record of it. And I have to start over at square one with some other random person on the end of the phone. It was, um, it was pretty pathetic. So it was about around somewhere in the middle of that is where um, I started listening to failure to stop and uh, <clears throat> started uh, interacting and stuff with um, the small group that was in the live chats and stuff. And um, that was the first thing, first positive thing for me, finding a, a that tribalism, a group of like-minded people. Um, that's been good for me. It, it took a while, but eventually after they changed uh, mental health providers, I was finally able to get in um, with a different, it's a completely different area of the state. It's they're like 300 miles away from me, um, the facility, but I'm able to uh, remote in and actually speak to a therapist now. What do you think other correctional officers <clears throat> would think about you getting therapy or counseling um how do you think that that notion fits into the culture because correctional officers definitely have their own subculture that's not at all like the police subculture um mm. you, you can't just say well they're they're the same um i mean they have overlapping themes but um you know one being that you know, talking about problems or something is a, is a weakness or a sign that you can't keep your shit together. Like, you know, what, how do you mm. think that gets perceived as a, as a correctional officer? Well, I know because, um, you know, as you know, after we've been doing this since April and having conversations on and off air, um, I'm pretty much the same person, whether I'm at work or at home, I'm pretty open with things. I have, zero filter. So when people are like, what did you do today? It's like, I was in therapy. Um, don't get into a lot of deep personal things, but, um, not, not ashamed of doing that at all. Um, it's like I tell inmates, you know, it's 10 times harder to ask for help than it is to say, you know, Oh, I got this and that bravado and machismo and, you know, that gang banging mentality that I can, I can push through this. I'm fine. It's like, it's way, way, way fucking harder to ask for help and to have um these personal conversations and stuff i mean i would rather go to the dentist most days than talk about uh some of the subjects it's not easy but from some of the other you know one sometimes you see people and they're like oh good and then i kind of look off to the left and <laughs> they're like kind of like oh geez this guy's got issues you know and then there's some people that have even asked me like, oh, that doesn't affect your job here. And I'm like, no, why would, why would being in therapy affect my job? Like negatively, like, oh, well, I thought there were things you couldn't talk about or I'm like, well, why, why do they pay for sessions then? You know, a lot of people are not very open-minded about it. And some of the officers, um, you know, one of the functions of being a sergeant is my office is a place where people come to vent about each other and sometimes personal things. Um, and those things stay in that chair. I don't discuss those outside of it, but, um, this one officer that was very concerned is going through some personal things. So I was like, well, you know, it might be good to, 
talk to somebody. You have a few free sessions you could use if you want. That's your choice. Do it or don't, you know, no judgment, but just letting you know it's a resource that's there for you. And this person was um, was surprised. She thought there was going to be something negative from uh, speaking to a therapist that it could affect your job. And um, yeah, there's a lot of um, incorrect information out there and misnomers um, <clears throat> about getting therapy. So I get a couple different reactions. Some people are like, oh, that's good. And don't really ask anymore. Aren't really um, terribly interested. Um, but it's just it's just my personal journey going through health issues and different things that have. And, you know, it's not just about me. I have kids and stuff that I need to be there for. So um, that's why I'm on the mental health journey personally. But it's not for everyone and not everybody needs it. But it's it's something that is kind of a taboo subject. And I'm trying to change that. Um, change that at work by talking about it more openly and, you know, letting people know, no, it's not going to affect your job. You're not going to get like pulled off of uh, a post or something because you're talking to a therapist. I mentioned this on a recent show. I'm not sure which one, cause I do so many, but uh, it was a meme I saw in like I probably mentioned memes are usually pretty glib and you shouldn't really live your life based on memes, but if they provoke your thoughts and that's good, it said that, you know, we are a society which mourns suicide and it is an ever growing problem, but we also deride mental health care. Um, I view it as part of job survival. Um, if you're a police officer and I'm one dispatcher, a correctional officer, these three things are my world, so I don't know what else is out there that's stressful. I imagine being a nurse is for sure um, just as bad or worse. But you've got to you've got to take care of yourself. And so, in the same way that you feed yourself and bathe yourself and everything else that you do, you've got to take care of your mind. And your mind is constantly being exposed to all these terrible things that damage you. One of my favorite authors writes, you know, you remember the things you want to forget, you forget the things that you want to remember. Um, the human mind is just sort of like that. So whether it is you're listening to a 911 call or you're seeing somebody harm themselves or harm somebody else in a jail, you know, an incredible act of violence or death, um, those things can't affect you. And over time, they affect you less, but those things are, are still a, a part of your daily life and a part of how you, you make a living. And having it tied to your income adds a, an extra layer of stress in that you'll go through something terrible and you'll say, well, you know, I've got to get through this because I have to feed my three children or this is how I'm paying the bills or this is the only thing I'm good at or this is who I am or whatever. Never mind that it's in direct conflict to what's happening to your well-being. You know, you're putting yourself out there in, in, in danger. My problems with mental health, all the, the worst stuff all occurred at the at the prison I worked at. I've had some struggles since I've been a 911 dispatcher. One in particular was was very difficult for me, but the worst times I ever went through was was when I was there. Um, I went from zero to 60 in my career in a very short amount of time. I went from being a correctional officer who worked a really good shift. I worked 7.15 to 3.45. I worked in the rec crew, meaning I went outside and I supervised recreation. 
I got to stand out in the sun and kind of work in my tan and shoot the shit and enjoy the silence and stand in the breeze and the rain too, but it wasn't a bad post. I could, I went and relieved other people's jobs and helped out and do things and I would do transports and whatever. And I had one of the easier jobs and I had quit in my mind because it just wasn't that much of a challenge to me and I knew I could probably do bigger things, but I decided before I leave here, I'm going to do everything I can do as a correctional officer. So. I immediately uh, went and got promoted to sergeant, skipped over corporal, which uh, was probably somewhat more stressful. I don't know how much more because I didn't do it. And then uh, so this lieutenant goes over to parole, and so there's a lieutenant vacancy. So what they should be doing is, uh, you know, elevating the sergeant with the highest seniority to acting lieutenant. But they have to pay when they do that. And I don't know why they felt like they were running out of taxpayer money. So they didn't promote anyone to acting lieutenant. They just put me in the lieutenant's rotation. So I went from sort of being the number two in command as a sergeant to all of a sudden being in charge of everything. So one month I'm standing outside, leaning up against the fence, relaxing, telling some guy, you know, to tuck his shirt in. And then a month later, I'm seeing, uh, you know, I'm dealing with, I'm, I'm in command of the entire situation, right? People being hung, uh, homicide that occurred in my facility. Uh, those things were all in one week. Actually, actually, they may have even been in consecutive nights. I don't know, because part of me going through that trauma was is that I deleted a lot of it from my brain. Uh, I just, I know that I went through it, but like, I can't remember a lot of specific details. I remember like the the most stressful shift that I ever had as a supervisor was was during that murder. And that part of that was not not that the guy had died or whatever. I mean, there was certainly some aspect of that. Having my 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 officers performing CPR on someone who was incredibly dead, you know, for legal reasons, we have to continue to try to preserve life until we can get them outside so that the prison doesn't become a crime scene. Um, but the way that the inmates were behaving uh, in that moment, while I was in command, uh, it was the ugliest thing that I've ever been through. The things that they were saying and the way that they were behaving, you know, when they were seeing a dead inmate being pulled out of the cell. Uh, it was very stressful. In fact, I went home and I was unable to sleep. And I, you know, I, I remember having this huge release of emotion. And then I, you know, because I'd been stressed out for a long time and this was sort of my breaking point. I wasn't stopped from functioning or anything. Obviously, I think I did a good job handling the homicide, but it's like I just had all of it inside me. So what I did, you know, something that works for me is that uh, I had a part time job that I actually had until uh, actually today is my last day there. That's ironic that I'm talking about it on my my last day. I'm not actually scheduled to work today, but it is my last day after nine years. Um I worked, I worked uh, with adults with disabilities and I, and I said, you know, the only way for me to get over this is to go help somebody. That's how I get outside of myself is by helping other people. So I went down there and I didn't, I didn't punch in cause I wasn't looking to get paid or anything. And I, I went to one of the houses in my community where six or seven of these guys live, you know, they're, they have, they have minds like children. But they're they're genuinely good people. Some of them have had brushes with the law and things like that. But they're people who are in need. So I, I made them breakfast, you know, and I helped out the staff person that was working with them by taking that off their head. But I, I got to do something with my hands uh, and I got to do something for other people. For me, those are two things that work. That being said, I should have gone to some sort of counseling or therapy because the situation continued to get worse for me. Um, like I said, I handled those situations well, but 
I started becoming very, very frustrated with corrections as, as time wore on. Um, and I told this story recently, but uh, there was one time where we had a fight in the chow hall and uh, we had to take somebody out of the chow hall and secure them in a holding cell, which means you tack them down, handcuff them to a, a concrete bench with a chain on it. And this is something we do every day. It's normal. This is utterly normal. This is everyday work for me. This is not extraordinary at all, which makes the story extraordinary. But I had told this one officer to, to take him out and tack him down. And this one officer was previously a sergeant. He was now an officer. And, um, I didn't think he was a good sergeant, but I, I trusted him. Like, you know, you had been a sergeant at one point. I think I can, hand, I can trust you to handle this officer work anyway. So he didn't tack the guy down in the holding cell. So I had this guy who was fighting. We removed him, put him inside a holding cell. But now I've got to do a cell entry over here. Uh, because this officer didn't do his job that he knows that he's supposed to do because he was afraid of the inmate. And I, and I realized though, just like, there's no, there's no, there's no quality around me anywhere. Like my, uh, my upper management, uh, you know, they're calling me into command, command staff briefings in the middle of the day, which is when I'm asleep uh, during, during this time anyway. And then they're telling me that I need to be more sycophantic, that all the sergeants need to be doing more to impress and this whole long meeting about how, you know, we need to be setting ourselves up to be lieutenants and captains and all this, which I think career development is important. But I had also worked on the day where one of our officers was killed. And my whole my whole stance was always when I come to work every day, I'm going to do my damnedest to make sure all of my officers go home safely. That was so central to everything I was about. And I think it's what made me not an excellent administrator or whatever, but I was I was good at supervising my shift. And so I got I got a real distaste for that in my mouth when she said, you know, we need to be doing more to oppress her and all this. And and I didn't I didn't like her because she was an administrator. She had she had she had held several administrative posts throughout the prison and got elevated to being in charge of us, the command or the security division, meaning officers, sergeants, lieutenants, captains, uh, because she was good at being a politician. She had never put handcuffs on anyone. Everyone sort of detested her because they'd known that she had never she had never done a round in the tears. She had never had to go hands on. She had never fought anyone she was not one of us and so i didn't really care if she respected me or not as she could probably tell which is also not a good move for you professionally if you dislike someone you should hide it as hard as hide, hide it more than anything you know uh, keep your friends close and enemies closer so i mean there was a little bit of that but uh so i realized i don't have upper staff supporting me they don't have my interests in mind and my officers are problems to me too and I remember that day where I told I was dealing with that. I'm just like, I can't be here one more day. Like I just, I hit a wall of some kind, like I was going and then I hit a wall. And in the midst of this, I was also, I had joined the hostage negotiations team. So all of a sudden I'm doing all kinds of extra training for that. Um, I was also, I being a sergeant, I was also in charge of the field training officers. So now I'm in charge of two special teams. I'm a, I'm a sergeant. Uh, I've got people dying all over the place. And so like I took on way too much, way too fast. Also at this time, my marriage is breaking up and I, and, and months before this, I had seen, I seen the writing on the wall, just like, I know where I'm headed. I know that my career is ending. I need to get out before I'm fired and I need to go parlay what I have earned and what I have made into a new career because I just, I'm not going to make it. So I knew that end was coming and I knew I was deteriorating and I knew that I was I was completely bereft of joy at all times. I was either awake or I was asleep. I was ne I never felt good. 
uh, I dreaded each shift and uh, just I, I just felt the dirt crumbling out from beneath me. This was also a time in which I was very, very far away from God, which is, uh, you know, faith is, is everything. I'm not saying, you know, that if you have mental health problems, you just need to open a Bible and that's going to fix it for you. I think it'll certainly help if you're inclined to do that. And if God is speaking back to you, that certainly, you know, does quite a bit for you, but you know, you need still need to go get that help. And I was never, I was never, the, I could never push myself to go get that counseling. And for me, it wasn't even an image thing. It was like, a, I can't afford it, you know, you know, which was some kind of cheap excuse or something, but you think I would know better because we had a, a correctional officer that worked there for many, many years. And when I first met him, he was one of the biggest assholes in the world. Like I honestly, like he would slam the phone on you. He was, he was just an absolute dick, totally unprofessional. But as time went by, like he softened towards me. I don't know why. And he was, uh, his, his, eventually got to the point where he was completely different. He was happy all the time. He was doing, uh, he, he always had a joke and things like this and he changed up his shifts and doing the things he needed to do. And then uh, I got, I was working the weekend and I got a call from, I'm not sure who it was, but I found out that he had killed himself. And if the handling the homicide was not the worst thing, then this definitely was uh, because he, he had killed himself at home and he was, he had been there a long time and he was friends with a lot of people. And I was thinking to myself, like, you know, all the, all the command, all the upper staff, they're all at home because it's Saturday night. I'm in charge of the facility right now. I'm it. I'm the, you know, all the policies say that the warden or his designee, meaning I have the, I have the power of the warden, you know, while I'm, I'm in charge of the facility. Not to do anything stupid, but certainly to do the smart thing, which is why I hope they made me a leader. But I, I knew all the people who were Bob's friends or a lot of them anyway. Uh, and I remember calling Corey, my FTO, who's been on the show. And I remember calling Stan, and I remember calling some other people, uh, one in particular, uh, I guess I won't use his name just because when I called him and he was surprised that, you know, the pen was calling him on the weekend because he had, he was off. And I just told him like, listen, Bob, Bob has, he's died and he, he killed himself. Like I, you just ripped the bandaid off. And the reason I did this is because Facebook is a thing, right? And Pete, no one is managing things well on Facebook. And I didn't want his closest friends to find out on Facebook. I felt like that was terrible and it was shitty. And I felt like hearing it from someone who was both a friend of Bob and a leader in the facility was the right way to do it. Um, and I just remember him immediately crying. And there's nothing I could say to him. And uh, I just listened to him cry. And then uh, when he was done crying, I said, listen to me, like, you know Bob better than I did. Like, who else should it, is next for me to call? And he gave me some names, and I, I kept calling until I informed everyone that I felt like I could inform. And uh, I went to Bob's funeral, and, you know, he had killed himself. And uh, the kicker is, is, as you might expect in a case like this, because there's always one thing that makes it worse, but his son had just started working with us. So Bob's son was a correctional officer there as well. And uh, so, so I'm going through all these terrible things. I'm going through a divorce. I'm going through uh, my career completely ripping me up inside. I'm seeing other correctional officers killing themselves. Um, I'm having all kinds of existential problems, you know, uh, probably suicide ideation, even though if I didn't recognize it at the time. 
and you know i didn't didn't take care of myself and so I, I tell you all this hopefully so that you can benefit from it if you're listening to this and you you see any of that in yourself or some kind of common theme there um figure figure out some way to help yourself uh invest in yourself enough and say i am worth saving and find some way to get that help for you uh, because some people don't we you know a couple of weeks ago, we had four sheriff's deputies in Los Angeles all killed themselves on the same day. How many others right now are thinking about that? You know, how many veterans are? We talk about 22 a day, and you know, that statistic is supposed to shock us, and now we don't. We're not shocked by it. And all these these deputies who commit suicide are not being listed in an officer down memorial page because the administration doesn't consider it a line of duty death. These wounds that they're sustaining mentally into their souls are mortal, but the administration doesn't recognize that. Not that recognition will help after the fact, but um, you know we're, we we are in danger once we're off the clock, once we're outside the facility, once we're done being cops or dispatchers or whatever we're doing. And I think you're absolutely right, Jake, to say that your family you know, uh, needs that from you. And what's hard is that when you're depressed, you don't care about that. It's, it's not, it's not even necessarily selfish, but it's that you don't care about anything. Nothing interests you when you're depressed. No, no part of your life has any value to you anymore. And it all just is sort of, uh, irritating. It's noise. And it's something you just want to turn off as simply as you would have at a broken television. It's, and, and, even still, it got worse for me from there because once my correctional career was over, I, I lost every part of my identity. I was I very much viewed myself as a correctional officer. I viewed that as my profession, and I viewed it as over. And I hadn't started at nine one one yet, and uh, you know, so I didn't I didn't have any built up confidence in myself as a nine one one dispatcher or even just as a professional in general, just because of the way that I was feeling about myself. And, you know, I, ne I never put a gun to my head or anything like that that some folks have done or, or, or pills, but I was, I was casually engaged in reckless behavior all the time. And at one point I was, uh, I was having dinner with my ex-wife because we, we were trying to just remain friends. And she's just like, why don't you wear your seatbelt anymore? <laughs> you know, like it was something I didn't. I didn't notice, but it was like, because I absolutely do not care if I crash this car and I go right through the windshield and it doesn't matter to me even one bit. Um, other risky behaviors that I probably shouldn't go into. I wasn't doing drugs or anything like that. Uh, I mean, I guess I'll say that I, I was and I wasn't because I, and I wasn't drinking because I knew, I, I knew that if I drank, that would kill me, but like sleep aids and things like that. I was taking other things to, to escape. Um, I would I would lay awake all day and listen to audiobooks because I needed that sound in my head rather than 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 confronting my own thoughts or my own feelings and I would get stuck in rumination I would think about the same thing over and over and over again I would consider the same scenario over and over and over again I was really sick I was really really unwell and I and I didn't get help for myself so I'll tell you that you know it was only really the grace of God that got me through that and I I don't say that as a it as a, a turn of phrase i believe that i was saved by god for some purpose um but and god of course has a purpose for you if you're alive today but find some way to get that counseling and help yourself it's not 
you're not any less for doing that. You know, you, you need to do what you need to do to take care of yourself. And I don't know, I don't know what it is about men or our self image or culturally that we won't do that, but men are expected to be providers. We're expected to be the breadwinners, the warriors. Um, but we take damage when we do that. Jake, I've kind of rambled on there. No, it's okay. Um, but yeah, I, I've, I've had similar things. I, I think I discussed before, um, just seeing like a normal, somebody who's still normal, somebody who just went through training, uh, seeing self-harm and their reaction versus my reaction. And, you know, to me, it's just another Tuesday. And to this person, they're abjectly terrified, have no idea what to do. And uh, the solution is, you know, sometimes rather simple. It's listen, talk to the person. If you can try to intervene with the least, um, evasive or like in this case the people were banging their head against the wall two separate people in two different cells so i just stuck a pillow between them because it was kind of a passive i'm just gonna do this to get attention type thing um but one of them actually refused medical treatment you could actually see her skull Um, i had a pretty good yeah pretty good laceration through um her head that's the one that i chose because i saw just walking in and my you know, three seconds of looking at these two people because I could hear the banging in two separate cells. So I looked at the first person, saw some blood, went to the second person, saw a lot more blood. So that's where I went. <laughs> and then I just looked at the officer and I said, you see what I'm doing? I said, can you, could you go do that in the other cell with the other person, please? <laughs> and, um, you know, that person um, no longer works with us. Um, she got a job somewhere else she's working with animals because that's her passion and i'm happy for her and i told her the same thing i tell everyone um that leaves you know they hear a lot of things people you know getting biblical call people judas try to give them 30 pieces of silver or you know make jokes about people that are leaving and they couldn't hack it or whatever and i tell people you know if you leave this career and you're going to get another job. I said, if people are saying negative things, it's probably because they're bitter because they don't, they can't or won't do anything else. They don't want to do change. And I'm like, if you found a job or, you know, some different circumstance in life that makes you happy, good for you. You know, you've improved your situation. I'm not going to say fuck you because I'm bitter because I'm still here. Um, (laughs) I'm going to say good for you, you know, don't don't forget about us if you want to say hey you know where we're at but um that's not a negative thing in my book when people move on and um leave the you know this this vocation it's not for everyone i was discussing with my therapist what i do and he's like yeah he said it's a very uh interesting and different thing I'm, i'm actually the only person in corrections that he speaks to he says he speaks to a lot of cops, a lot of firefighters, you know, a lot of people in different circumstances and stuff. He's like, but he's like out of my, his whole Rolodex of clients that he has, he says, you're the only person that works in corrections that I talk to. And he's like, from hearing, you know, general, I don't get into specifics and in people's names and private information, but he's like the experiences, the things that you do on a daily basis, the pressures that you guys face um he's like it's very unique it's it's um you know you you sound like almost part counselor uh some days you're also the the rule enforcer you deal with uses of force and you know 
he was asking like what happens with the use of force and i'm like well now that i'm a supervisor i get to go immediately relive the event if i wasn't involved if i was involved or see the event in graphic detail and i think what was it episode two on this channel we broke down um a case and and that's was i basically did that like a use of force at this time stamp this is what happened then this happened then this happened then that happened and that's how my uses of force go all the paperwork and seeing those images zoomed in slowed down trying to figure out who grabbed what arm and who put the restraints on how long were the restraints on you know where did they get moved to who is giving directions all those things um in detail it, that's that's what we do and um he's like you know police officers go through traumatic events he's like and uses of force and then they're told you need to go home sometimes not always sometimes they just go to the next call but um with major events he's like they're told go home you know like get a couple sleep cycles in and do your report and we'll go into the investigation and whatever he's like you get to go and relive it immediately afterwards and um yeah it's it, it can be difficult doing that sort of thing uh, it's similarly i work overnights to you so um i feel a lot of support from our um administration which is good which makes me feel confident making decisions and stuff um they were discussing some of the like pot local politics and different things and different boards and whatever and they're like you're next and i was like gee thanks um, I appreciate the, the, uh, confidence that I could possibly be, uh, you know, the assistant administrator or something, deputy administrator or something like that someday. But, um, nice. but yeah, I'm, I am the, I'm the guy I'm there, the guy there at night and it's like, unless it's a major situation, I just have to make decisions. I don't have people to fall back on people to ask questions, people to, um, I mean, like last night I was helping fix a copier, you know, it's like, I'm, I'm by no means an IT guy, but I learned through dealing with a lot of little things like, oh, this is the trick to this. This is the trick to that in the facility. This is how, you know, we get through a shift. So, um, yeah, there's a lot of, there's a lot of pressure and stuff with it. There's a lot of stigma, but, you know, and therapy isn't always easy but it does feel good to get things off your chest. And it is good to, I, I really hate being put into a box. I feel like, oh, I don't want to be stereotypical. I don't want to be, you know, uh, that easy to figure out. Um, I like to think I'm more mysterious and complex than I am. So um, having this persona uh, certainly hasn't helped that. It makes me even no. more mysterious. Uh, but, Sometimes uh, I learn things about you and then uh, just to preserve it. I forget about it immediately. So, <laughs> well, that's good. Um, yeah. I, it's the, it's the neuralizer that I sent you. <laughs> <It's exactly>. um, <laughs> but uh, yeah, that wasn't a neuralizer that you sent me, but <laughs> <laughs> well, it was shaped like one, um, <laughs> you know where to put it. So that's what counts. Oh, uh, <laughs> awful. you have ruined Thanksgiving. I, uh, but yeah, you know, the, the camaraderie, dark humor, those sorts of things we use to cope, but also, you know, I'm using medication, um, which helps keep things manageable. You know, I yeah. didn't understand before, uh, what like abject sadness or like that, 
uh, level of stress and anxiety to where you literally can't cope. I felt like people that took their lives were extremely selfish and how could you do that to your family? But then experiencing those things, being in that position, um, I'm not saying that it's right, but I understand better yeah. what, where where people are at. And, you know, I used to go through, you have to recognize and go through when people are having anxiety attacks and things like that. So you recognize things. My therapist is a remarkably self-aware, um, which is good, I suppose. Um, um, it's, it's, a, it's, it's a sword for sure with two edges, so. <laughs> but, uh, but yeah, it's, it's extremely important. I mean, going through um, different things, if I didn't have... Um, a circle of friends and confidants didn't have uh, therapy, the aid of medication when things are very difficult and stuff. Um, I'd never considered suicide or anything before, but even just conceptualizing and thinking about things um, was something that I did do at one point. And that was, um, like I said, I, I have to be there for my children. So it's like, whatever it takes, I told, I told myself, you know, I need to go through this journey to try to seek help and I'll pretty much try anything to see if it's helpful because it's not just about me. Yeah. I think uh, a couple of good points you were making that I'd like to add on to is number one, if you don't understand why someone commits suicide, that means you're okay. So that's a good sign. Uh, if you can understand it, that means you are either in a bad place yourself or you've been through one. Um. Uh, in terms of quitting, know when to quit being a CEO. Don't be like me where you you completely wrap up your identity in it and think this is all I could do, this is all I'm good at, or I can't succeed in the private sector because I have no public service, customer service skills left in me because the prison has broiled them out of me. Uh, you can go and do other things more than just this one thing. And maybe you were never meant to do it for the rest of your life. And saying I was a correctional officer for two years or four years or six years or whatever it is, that's just part of your journey. Uh, I think we need to dispose of the old myth, you know, of, of dad and grandpa where they did a job for 30 years and collected their pension. You know, uh, there's some people that still do that, but it's becoming more and more not the case. I don't think it's I don't think it's you throwing your your life away or your your career away if you just say well i'm done doing this and i want to find something else to do i think is normal and healthy uh, if you if you can remember back to when you were new and you came into this place and you were still shocked by the violence that you saw and you were still bothered by all the lies and you were still uneasy about all the danger you're still in all those situ you're still in all that situation but you can't perceive it anymore it's like the frog in the pot of boiling water it goes up a degree every day but he can't tell until it's too late uh Try to recognize those signs. Try to have other people who will tell you if you're if you're hostile at home, if you're angry at home, if you're treating your family like like their inmates, if you're if you have no empathy for your significant other. That was the problem I had. Is I had a serious deficits of empathy. I could not could not care about what she was going through. Like she would have a bad day as an as an accountant, and she would try to tell me about it, and you know she would explain no, you know. Karen was being a real jerk and saying this about me and she messed up these reports and I'll just be like, yeah, well, I saw two guys, you know, rip open their arms and, you know, fill up a whole cell full of blood and, you know, we were fighting them and, and got blood all over me and, you know, I'm getting screamed at and called all these terrible names. And 
people are trying to kill me essentially you know it's like how does that compare you know in your own view what you're doing obliterates everything else as part of a normal life and and it makes you not care about other people and inmates do that to you too because inmates are constantly talking to you about what's going on in their lives and all the stupid shit that they cause for themselves and, and you just get tired of hearing it so if you if you're hostile to someone you should be loving towards uh if there's no relationship there if you guys are sleeping apart if you're not talking you know if you're not what you were before you started working there uh you need to leave if if your relationship has changed since you started working at the, at the jail or the prison leave for that relationship you'll think for me at some point my my career which is not even something i really even you know i was ready to, to stop doing it when i started pursuing all these things for some reason that was more important to me i couldn't recognize the signs that like i was on the outs with my wife look at yourself have someone else give you feedback someone you trust uncle brother dad somebody best friend i don't know it's it's very hard because when you when you're when you're depressed when you're in a mental health crisis and you can't tell then you you just can't tell you can't see the forest or the trees so to speak but try to find some way to analyze your life am i, am I the same person that i am when I came to this place, now I expect jail and prison is going to change you a little bit because you're seeing a different side of life and you're having a job that most people can't do or see or have a part of their awareness of society. But are you still the same person? You know, uh, is your joy gone? Are you angry? And like, I, not to belabor the point, but if that's what's happening to you, just leave. Just go do something else. Find out. Like, Find, start finding ways to do that. Start looking for jobs. Start uh, asking people if they'll be your references. Start the process. I think it's one of the better ways to do that because once you'll see like, hey, I could start doing this as of January 1st, then maybe I should be doing that. And you can uh, look forward to the day where you're not putting on your uniform and strapping on your duty belt and making sure you don't leave your radio at home and all that bullshit. And you can go do something else. Well, and I, I talked about, too, the, the double standard with that, where we feel like, you know, like you said, you can't compare what your experiences are to other people's experiences and try to minimize uh, their feelings. Like nothing that you experience, like it's not really fair to make people, uh, you know, understand, you know, if, if somebody does have a, you know, job, office job, they're not going to understand on a one-to-one -one level what it's like to deal with somebody that's self-harm or you know somebody to try to stab you in the course of um, performing your duties what it's like to get kicked in the face during a use of force and still have to be able to give directions and use the minimal amount of force to regain control those types of things but also on the flip side um, we think uh, sometimes that, oh, well, you need to do your eight inside the gate or whatever. You need to just leave work at work and you can't discuss it. And it's like, okay, but you maybe I don't get super graphic with stuff, but I, I will let my family members know, like, I had a bad day. And they know when I say I had a bad day, they understand the kind of the context of that. Like, a bad day is cutting somebody down, whether they were successful or not even a close call is, is traumatic. Um, you know, if I had a bad day, I got to hear the account of someone getting, you know, violently sexually abused. And then I had to take notes and then I had to call and report it. And then he, not only 
share my port my version of the account sometimes they share their version of the account as well and then i have to write a report and then an email about this and um you know it, it isn't fair to say to just internalize everything and not let your family know what you're going through you don't have to get into graphic detail there's no reason to you know uh tell your kids <laughs> hey i saw someone's you know viscera today like oh sorry that on my shirt that's from that's from somebody's nose daddy broke somebody's nose today you know like you don't have to get into uh graphic detail but you do need to find someone that you can uh kind of confide in and a group of people that or uh, just anybody that you can talk to it doesn't have to be a therapist um i have kind of a really um fucked up group of friends <laughs> we were all ceos together and we send uh send each other private messages of really dark and twisted and sexual stuff um even though they've been gone for several years we still keep in touch that way like hey looked at this fucked up thing i found on the internet i get uh stuff from the wolf pack all the time <laughs> i get funny and twisted and um different stuff once in a while i'll send john something inappropriate just to just to brighten his day um uh, but yeah I, it's I, another stigma yeah I, I love all those uh the dark humor too it's very much a release for me and i think i've always been darker than other people and i think i've always been way darker i don't and i'm not trying to compare myself to you because i'm actually i'm dark but in a really different way um but like uh when i was at the penitentiary i'm sure i've told this story but we were having a bad day once and i was gonna go to lunch while the lieutenant did count and i said i'm gonna go to lunch lt she goes oh yeah what are you getting like you know are you going to subway or burger king or where are you going i'm like i'm gonna eat a whole bottle of tylenol <laughs> you know just as a joke and uh i had to go to the warden's office for that and discuss like you know whether or not i was suicidal and you know um of appropriate humor and all this like i was just trying to be myself I thought that I could with this person because she and I actually got along very well as a lieutenant and sergeant. We were like a one-two punch in terms of things. But it just shows you that you don't always know people as, as well as you think you do, and you can't always trust people the way you, that you think that you can either, um, which is something I obviously should have known. But if you can't find a group of people or, you know, COs or somebody that are your buddies, uh, you definitely should uh, pay for it. You know, <laughs> find someone who will be forced to sit there and you'll just explain it all, and it doesn't matter if they understand it or not you can get a lot of uh, healing and feeling better just by being the author of your own story, Give you, giving you authority over what happened to you that day by putting it out of you, by seeing it in front of you. And sometimes you never know what you're carrying around inside of you until you start talking about it, right? Like uh, on this podcast, both me and Jake can sit here and we'll talk for an hour. It's not like we sit here and write down everything that we're going to say. It's like it's stream of consciousness and it's back and forth, right? In many ways, like we, we, we break down stories, but we also are we're counseling each other i'm like oh shit well that's what we've been doing this whole time we both of us just talked about the stuff that we went through uh this is very much like counseling it's not professional uh but it's it's a way to to get stuff out of you and you know to help yourself and i i think that you should do that and, and knowing when to quit is the most important thing but i think to really nail it home the something i thought about where you were speaking was 911 dispatchers police officers nurses um, all these stressful jobs and I'm not intentionally leaving anyone out. Firefighters will throw them in there, paramedics, EMTs, and more. How many of us go to work carrying in our duty belt a noose knife? 
Jake, I don't know if you carry one of these, but I did when I was mm-hmm. uh, a, an officer. It's a it's a special knife. It's basically uh, curved like your finger, like you're uh, curving your finger up uh, to call someone towards you in a beckon. And on the inside interior curve of that is a knife. It's a piece of steel that's sharpened so that you can put that around a noose and uh, twist it and pull it and it cuts down a noose. So we are so ready to interact with death and suicide that we have a special tool that we carry with us every day just to do that. That's our job. That's how often that we encounter death and suicide and parasuicidal behaviors. We have a special tool to deal with it. Right. Cut above the knot, folks. Above the knot. Preserve yeah. the evidence. <laughs> I never I never became an expert that I I don't I'm, I think I'm going to use that like once or twice, but I just think it's amazing that, you know, that's something we never talk about is that we have a special suicide tool. Mm-hmm. And police officers may carry that. I don't know if they do or don't. It probably varies. But I think that that just sums it up. That That's the level of stress that our, that our life is as a correctional officer is that you have tools specifically for that. Anything else before we go off and joyously uh, celebrate the holiday? <laughs> uh, I will say this about Thanksgiving. You should actually give thanks. Uh, one thing that is hugely missing in our society is gratitude. If uh, One thing that definitely you know didn't help me when i was in my downtime is that i wasn't grateful for what i had do look around you see what you do have don't focus on the things you don't have or the things you're still working for or there are things that are frustrating you look at what you have you've got this relationship here you've got somebody that loves you you got your mom you got your dad uh maybe you've just got yourself and yourself is good enough uh but there are things to be grateful for in your life even if they're not going well and honestly if you try to focus on that gratitude no matter how hard it is uh, for the things you've been given, for the things that you've worked for, for whatever's in your life that is good, it can totally change your worldview. So as you go into Thanksgiving, do give thanks. Uh, be sincere about that. And I don't even necessarily mean in just like, a, you know, I sure am lucky kind of way. Particularly if, if you are a person of faith, be grateful specifically to God. And uh, be uh, be grateful for all that we have. As a country, you know, we don't live in the in the ways that other people do. And we have so much in our life that we sort of just take for granted that we're not living in a country where we poop in a hole. You know, there's, there's so many countries without indoor plumbing case in point, but it's like we're very privileged here and we're privileged to focus on on these problems uh, that, 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 you know, they can't even get to in other countries. And uh, your life's not perfect, but try to try to make the most out of it, make it just and uh, try to be a good person and do something for other people, do something for outside of yourself. And if you're really down this Thanksgiving, I encourage you to try that. Find some way to help somebody else. Uh, I bet if you go for a drive in your community, you'll probably come across someone that needs something, whether, you know, they're at at a gas station and they're light on their change or whatever, or pay for a meal behind you at the the restaurant, at the drive-thru or something. If you do something like that, go outside of yourself or someone else, it will help you. Uh, and do it if you can't do it for that other person because you just don't give a shit about society you know as i have felt many times do it because it'll make you feel better care about yourself uh jake take us out with a with a joke and by the way the pressure is on this is the most depressing episode of hard time ever so if you don't if you don't absolutely knock it out of the park on this one uh you're gonna leave people feeling sad so it's on you well i also wanted to add um go bills and if you want to, if you need a, a group of people that uh, can share your highest highs and lowest lows, uh, look no further than uh, Bills fans, especially this Thanksgiving. Um, they're they're a fan base of constant sorrows. <laughs> <laughs> it 
what so uh were you were you referencing man of constant sorrow like the uh, what was it for uh old brother where art thou uh i think escape from jail that was it the the odyssey i love i love uh oh brother where art thou uh but um <laughs> i i think that that's a the the man of constant sorrows is uh mm -hmm. universal and uh also like a tenet of my faith was that uh jesus was a man of of deep sorrows um like uh his friend died and he cried for his friend even knowing he would bring him back to life so it's like uh just the idea that sorrow is something that's universal and and true and big and it's uh we we are not to keep going on about this but our society is one of happy people people who appear happy mm. but it's like uh you're not you know you're not perfect you're feeling down it's like i think i think most people when we when we reckon with the truth of whether that's the Buffalo Bills and their interception rate or just what's going on with your family or your life, there's there's reason to have sorrows. The same way there is for thanks. I think if you recognize that people are are people of great deep sorrows, and there you go. So sorry, I wasn't trying to like get majorly philosophical philosophical on you. Uh, but that's what, what that was. So I like going back going back <laughs> philosophical and in, in antagony. <clears throat> more more in proof that I should probably not be a podcaster as uh, as we go on. What's the joke though? Because I honestly just can't let this episode go. So, uh, therapist leans forward in his chair, looks at his client, and he says, "Look inward." The black guy in the chair says, "What did you just call me?" I saw that one. Uh, I like that meme. It was, uh, it's a little bit better when you read it in your own head than when you say it aloud. Look inward. What? What did you say? Oh. I used to have this uh, piece of shit English teacher that was absolute crap. And you would ask her a question and she's just like, search for the answer inside yourself. I'm like, I'm, you're being paid to tell me the answer though. Right. I'm not being paid at all. So well, some and, kind of and slavery just... going on here in public school. I'm doing work for free. Right. Well, and that's the th like last night we had a thing was a bunch of like Christmas party papers that are just like useless now because uh, you have to order your tickets by now. So I started like folding them up and making paper airplanes and the uh, officer walks into my office and I'm like, what the fuck are you doing? And I was like, I'm taking this. And I said, I write down a negative, negative thought. And then I fold it into a plane and I turn it into a flying fuck. Nice. I really like that. There's a, there's a more ancient and spiritual tradition of uh, writing down your sorrows and then uh, and then uh, setting them on fire and dropping them out the window. They do that somewhere in Europe. So that's their flying fiery fucks, I guess. I don't know. <laughs> right. Yeah. And that's I, I was talking about, you know, we were kind of alluding to PTSD. Um, I, I prefer to call it spicy deja vu. But, you know. <laughs> everybody's everybody's different but uh yeah guns up giddy up enjoy your thanksgiving be thankful people uh hold the line thank you for, to all those who are working 911 behind bars and on the road this thanksgiving um i will be at home with my family this year um but yeah enjoy yeah we we appreciate you if you're working uh this thursday friday saturday sunday as we always do. But thanks so much. Thanks for listening all the way to the end. I'm sorry if you're sad. Good night, America. Say goodbye, Jake. Goodbye, Jake.